Good morning and welcome to Echoes of Calvary. This is your host, Greg Sweeting. Thank you for opening your home to us this morning. I invite you to now open your hearts and worship with us as we share from the Word of God. Stay with us as we share comments and illustrations with a spiritual application, present special music to call us to worship, and in a few minutes, Pastor Alan Lee will come to share insights from Scripture and explain how to apply God's Word that we might grow to be complete in Christ. Bill Davis has written a book entitled Missing at Calvary, in which he suggests a number of things that one would not expect or did not find at Calvary. It is a thought-provoking book. I've encouraged him to have the book reprinted so that more people can benefit from its rich mixture of stories and speculation regarding things absent from the hill on which our Lord was crucified. I've chosen several of the things mentioned in this book to share with you this morning. I hope that they invoke from your hearts a response of worship and gratefulness for Calvary. For even though there were things missing at Calvary, I am so grateful that the Lord was there himself, and there he died for you and me. Here is the first selection of the things missing from Calvary. A physician. Crucifixion was a form of capital punishment imposed by many nations, including the Romans, whose emperor Constantine I abolished it in the 4th century AD. In those countries where capital punishment is extant, a physician is invariably present to certify death. But there was no physician for this task at Calvary. Indeed, the Romans left the crucified victims to die for many days and left the bodies for the dogs and the vultures to devour. The Jewish law required that if a man committed a sin worthy of death and he should be put to death by hanging on a tree, his body should not remain all night upon the tree but should be buried on the day of execution. Deuteronomy 21. The Mishnah a collection of exegetical material written about 200 AD laid it down like this. Everyone who allows the dead to remain overnight transgresses a positive command. It was even more vital on that Friday bodies should not remain on the crosses after six o'clock when the Sabbath, the Passover Sabbath, commenced. To accelerate death at Calvary, the soldiers broke the legs of the malefactors. But when they saw that Jesus was already dead, they did not break his legs. This decision not to break the legs of Jesus must have struck the consciousness of those Jews who knew their scriptures. In a few hours, the Passover supper would be eaten. There would be the slain lamb for whom the scriptures directed that not a bone of it should be broken in Numbers 9. They may also have recalled David's Messianic prophecy. He keepeth his bones, not one of them is broken, Psalm 34. There was no human physician to tend the suffering Savior at Calvary, but the great physician who healed many when on earth continues his ministry today, healing bodies and souls.
there were no angels at Calvary. The Bible records that throughout history, angels played a major role in implementing God's plan for the world, revealing God's will, executing his judgment, and providing protection for God's people. Jesus, at the conclusion of telling the story of the lost piece of silver, told his hearers, Likewise, I say unto you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner that repenteth. Jesus said, Whoever shall confess me before men, him shall the Son of Man also confess before the angels of God. Of angels, the writer to the epistle to the Hebrews wrote, Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for them who shall be heirs of salvation? Angels were active in the life of Jesus. Angels announced his birth. Angels, after Jesus had triumphed over the severe testing of the devil in the wilderness, came and ministered to him. An angel visited in the Garden of Gethsemane to strengthen him before Calvary. Angels were at the tomb after his resurrection when one proclaimed, He is not here, but is risen. There were probably angels who were present at his ascension, and 10,000 angels will accompany him at his second coming. But there were no angels at Calvary. Gethsemane, it seems, was a boundary at which God drew a line and beyond which angels could not go. There was no help for Jesus, either human or angelic, at Calvary. The angels could only look on from a distance, perplexed, mystified, as God's great plan of salvation unfolded and the eternal Son of God suffered for the sins of the world. Jesus could have called for 10,000 angels or 12 legions of angels to come to his aid, but he had to fulfill God's plan of salvation alone. There were no angels at Calvary. It was by himself that he purged our sins. There was no rainbow at Calvary. To Noah, God said, This is the token of my covenant which I will make between me and you and every living creature that is with you. For perpetual generation, I do set my bow in the cloud, and it shall be for a token of a covenant between me and the earth. And I will remember my covenant, and the waters shall no more become a flood to destroy all flesh. The implications of the judgment of the earth by flooding were completely eclipsed by the judgment which took place at Calvary. It was there that the God's judgment for sin fell upon the eternal Son of God. Not for sins which Jesus had committed, for he was sinless, but for the sins of the whole world, yours and mine. The appearance of the rainbow is a frequent reminder of God's promise, which significantly was limited in its scope. It was a sign that the world would never be judged again by flooding. But the apostle Peter prophesied a future judgment, which would not be by water, but by fire. The heavens and the earth, which are now by the same word are kept in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men, Second Peter 3. There will be signs in the heavens when God returns. These will be audible as well as visual. 
for the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. First Thessalonians. Jesus' appearance in the heavens will not only signal the fulfillment of his promise, but will also herald the final judgment for unbelievers. At Calvary, there was no need for a sign in the heavens. God's judgment of sin had been fully atoned by his beloved Son, who bore the punishment and sins for all humanity. Jesus proclaimed this in a loud voice, It is finished. Such a triumphant cry need no authentication by a sign in the heavens. The death of Jesus upon the cross declared unequivocally, therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Our message for today is our pastor, 
Alan Lee. Good morning. Today we conclude our three-part message on fathers began on Father's Day. Our theme has been that opposed to the current sociological phenomenon of the feminized man, God's Word declares that a father and a man must be a masculine leader, both in the home, the church, and in society as a whole. We have noted four basic necessary traits or characteristics of a masculine leader as presented in Scripture, using Adam, the intended model of masculinity, as our basis and as outlined in the opening chapters of the book of Genesis. Those traits are 1. Aggressive decisiveness or decision-making 2. Willingness to accept responsibility 3. A non-intimidated initiator and 4. A faithful, dependable provider. Now, as we concluded last time, we said that both male and female are now threatened at the level of their sexuality because of Adam's sin. Men ask, can I lead? But because of fear of failure, they also ask, will I fail? Women ask, can I be supportive? But because of their fear of domination, they also ask, will I be hurt? The core of maleness and masculinity is that of leadership and provider. A father's failure in these areas emasculates him, and if his failures cause his wife to fill in by default, he will also experience shame and guilt, which he might try to overcome by compensation in some other areas of his life. Maleness and female and femaleness, my friend, can only be fully realized within the proper interaction of the two. Let me put it another way. Masculinity and femininity can only be fully realized with the proper interaction of the two. The maleness of a man and father, although fostered and nurtured by other men, is not measured against the maleness of another man, but rather it is measured against his relationship to his wife. It's not whether he could outdo another man, but rather whether he can treat his wife as a woman, a feminine being. Today, we want to elaborate a little bit more now on what happens, what are, what are the results of a father's failure to assume his rightful position as a masculine man. Well, if he fails in this area, first, as a husband, when he fails to exercise his masculine leadership qualities as given in Scripture, the wife becomes dominant and the father becomes passive. In this case, the, fa the, the, the male's failure, the father's failure, is reflected in his authoritative role. In other words, his authoritative role is compromised as was in the case of Naboth and Jezebel. The reversed roles, many social scientists say, could also lead to homosexuality in male children, when the wife becomes dominant and the father becomes passive. To prevent or correct this situation, a father must be loving, but also aggressive and assertive in his leadership. He must take charge of his family in a firm but compassionate way. But a second thing happens in these situations. The wife becomes manipulative and the father becomes compliant. In this case, 
his managerial role is compromised, as in the case of Adam and Eve described in Genesis 3. To prevent this from happening, to correct this, a husband, a father, must be a strong manager of the home, as outlined in 1 Timothy 3. Now, to do this, you must first set biblical goals for the family, with, of course, input from your wife. According to Paul, remember, she is the assistant manager. Look it up in 1 Timothy 5.14. This is how the Net Bible translates this verse. I want younger women to marry, raise children, and manage a household. Notice that? Manage a household. Under her husband, of course, in the context. In order to give the adversary no opportunity to vilify us. Second, though, you must not only set biblical goals for your family, you must also delegate specific areas of responsibility to your wife with authority to carry them out, according to First Peter 3, verse 6. Thirdly, you must communicate to your family well and often. Do not assume anything. Fourthly, you need to set specific biblical standards concerning money, entertainment, discipline, and so on. This is how you demonstrate your managerial responsibility in the home. Here's a vital truth. You must give your wife the assurance that you are the responsible head of the family. But thirdly, when a father fails to be a masculine lead in the home, he fails to be a role model to his children. This encourages rebellion on the part of the children, and as well an overall disregard for authority in the home, as was the case of Eli and his sons described in 1 Samuel 3. In this case, the father's teaching role is compromised. To prevent or correct this, a father, a husband must be a spiritual teacher in keeping with Ephesians 5. And so you must both acknowledge and assume your responsibility to disciple your wife into spiritual maturity. Please, I encourage you, I exhort you, read Ephesians 5 for this truth. But fourthly, if a father fails to be a masculine leader, he will fail to provide adequately for his family, which encourages his wife to work, and then gradually take on a woman's lib mentality. In this situation, his provider role is compromised. To prevent or correct this, a father must be a sufficient provider, and so nourish his wife, according to Ephesians 5.29, and not be a freeloader on his wife, as described in 1 Timothy 5.8. Now, men, you can do two things to help prevent this from happening. First, determine to live within a lifestyle that can be supported by your income. That's basic. Simply means don't live beyond your means and don't allow your wife or your children to do so either. Secondly, do not allow your wife to become the sole or major breadwinner for the family unless absolutely necessary. For instance, because of your illness, your sickness, or it's impossible for you to find a job. Finally, if a husband fails to demonstrate masculine leadership in his home, according to 1 Peter 3, 7, he will fail to properly understand his wife as a woman, as a feminine being. In this case, his role as a lover is compromised. Now, to prevent or to correct this man, 
a husband must be a sacrificial lover in keeping with ephesians 5:25 we are to love our wives as christ loved the church and gave himself for her it's a sacrificial love we are, must be willing to give our lives for our wives here are three ways you can do this in a practical fashion first consciously commit yourself to caring for her whatever it costs put her needs above your needs secondly do not base your love for her on her love for you but rather on your obedience to jesus christ you are not to love her to get love from her you are to love her because jesus christ has commanded you to love her thirdly you are to learn to be a servant lover one who serves the one he loves because that's how she not you is benefited in other words you say to your wife that my life is committed to meeting your needs i am here as a servant leader for you but not only must a masculine husband be a sacrificial lover he must also be a sensitive satisfying sexual partner now in this relation i encourage you to read and inwardly digest passages such as ephesians 5:29 and look up the meaning of the word cherish look up at first peter chapter 3 verse 7 and study the passage about understanding your wife as a feminine being and treating her as an equal also the song of solomon especially chapters 4 and 7 read these passages they provide what i call a holy guide to exciting christian love making and remember this phrase a true lover is a spirit filled lover there are two points here first learn to understand your wife as a feminine sexual being first peter 37 in other words discover what she likes as a woman and provide it for her that's the whole point of this discover what she likes as a woman and provide it for her perhaps we should say discover what she needs as a woman and provide it for her secondly keep the romance in your relationship romance is something of course that women all women cherish they like males the husband the fathers are responsible for providing this i encourage you to read the book his needs and her needs it'll help you along the way but now with regard to your children According to Ephesians 6:4 and Deuteronomy 6, you are to be a spiritual instructor. According to Colossians 3 and 1 Timothy 3, you are to be a sensitive disciplinarian. You are to discipline your children. Here are a few guidelines here. First, set definite standards of behavior and model them before your children. Secondly, clearly communicate expectations and consequences. Thirdly, explain the reasons for discipline. Just don't strike out at your children. Explain why you are disciplining them. Fourthly, follow through on all policies. Don't set a law, a policy, and then disregard it when they are broken. As some say, don't threaten and fail to carry it through if the policies are not observed. Fifth, give opportunity for explanation. Remember, you could be wrong. you could be wrong 
Give your children an opportunity to explain. And six, always let your children know that his or her disobedience is against God's will. And so finally, as an overview, to be a masculine leader as a father, be a strong role model as a loving husband, as an able provider for and manager of your family, as an active, involved member of the church and in your community. In other words, as an involved member of your community. My friends, the perversions and judgments that have distorted, frustrated, and destroys God's divine purpose for marriage and the family can only be corrected and reversed through the application of the effects of Christ's redemption on the cross to male and female, husband and wife, and parents and children, both individually and corporately as a family unities. His work on the cross has canceled the effects of the fall. His indwelling presence enables and equips all believers to restore and affect God's original purpose in the marriage and family relationships. It is impossible for anyone else to do so. And it is the major responsibility of the male, the father and husband, to apply these truths in his relationship with the female in whatever context God places him. His maleness as the father is measured by his success in relating to the femininity of his wife and to his children in the way God has designed for him to do in his word. And leadership, based on sacrificial love, characterized by a servant's attitude, and implemented with an aggressive decisiveness, initiated by obedience to the word of God, is to be the primary factors in that relationship. May we then draw upon God's divine enablement through His Holy Spirit and His Word to be, as men, masculine leaders in the home as fathers and husbands, in the church and community as model leaders. As always, this is Pastor Lee saying, Sila, think and act on these things. You have been listening to Echoes of Calvary, a radio ministry of Calvary Bible Church in Nassau, Bahamas. Our morning worship service begins this morning at 11 o'clock in the sanctuary located on Collins Avenue. We extend an invitation to you to join us on these occasions. If you would like to contact the church or Pastor Lee, address your letters to Echoes of Calvary, Post Office Box N1684, Nassau, Bahamas. And so we come to an end of this broadcast. I invite you to think about the message this morning. Consider the one who is our Savior and Lord. Grow to be complete in Him. And remember, as echoes from Calvary stir in your heart, keep listening for that shout, Maranatha, the Lord is coming soon. Trust the great command is promised.
Christ could come again. 